is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio, with thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, here's Todd Bergaff. Hey, thanks for joining us for the podcast uh, today on these Tuesdays. The voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Alan Horton joins us. Uh, Alan, thanks for coming in again. And uh, we're nearing the end of this gauntlet that the Timberwolves have been running for about three weeks on the schedule, and they're hanging right in there, still have the best record in the Western Conference. Yep. It's, uh, they're kind of limping to the finish line, though. They <laughs> yeah. losses in their last four games. And, and, you know, that's what happens when you're not at, um, you're not at complete 100%, whether it's physically or mentally, offensively, defensively, game plan-wise. If you're off just a little bit against a good team, they can make you pay. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's kind of happened the last few games for the Wolves, with the exception of the Houston game, starting off this road trip. But difficult back-to-back here tonight. Orlando, then Boston, two of the top teams in the East, two of the top defenses, two of the top four defenses in the NBA. So it's um, anything the Wolves get tonight or tomorrow night will be well-earned. Uh, the last game against uh, Dallas on uh, Sunday night, the Wolves have a lead with about three and a half minutes left, and they cough up that lead and, and wind up losing by seven. But that's been kind of the exception to the rule. The Wolves have been a good finishing team. What happened on Sunday against Dallas? Yeah, you know, it's um, it was interesting because they were down for most of that game. I would mm-hmm. say they trailed for about 80% of that game, and they were uh... – you know, they were down by nine in the fourth quarter, and they actually, before they collapsed, they put together a 19-4 to run to, to erase the deficit, take the lead, and had done a lot of really good things. And then all of a sudden, the last three minutes and 30 seconds, they get outscored 15-2. to hmm. um, I don't know if they ran out of gas or what kind of happened. A couple of, just a couple of things kind of swung some momentum. There was a Rudy turnover in there where he got airborne. Um, coming off a pick and roll and tried to kick it back out and threw it right past the end, right in the backcourt, turnover, breakdown defensively at the other end, um, results in, 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 I think it was Derek Jones Jr. getting free to the rim. And so, you know, when, when you get into clutch time, it's about maximizing your possessions because you have so few of them. There's so little time left. Um, it puts an importance on every possession offensively and defensively. And if you have a little mistake and one possession at the offensive end, then back it up at the defensive end, that can swing a game. And that's basically what happened is that they just uh, they couldn't get to that finish line uh, in time. Luca and Luca and Kyrie were just were just too much, and they had really good games. I mean, when they combined for 69 points and they shoot as well as they did, I I think that's the one area you could live with their shooting percentage, but it's the three point percentage that really jumped out to me. They hit 11 of 20, and and those guys are good shooters, but they shouldn't be 11 of 20. Had they just missed, had they gone 9 of 20, that would have, I think, it might have been even the difference in the game. Yeah. You know, and Kyrie, I think if he hadn't been as mercurial as he is personality-wise and, and some injuries and so forth, too, we might be talking about one of the best small men in the history of the league. I mean, for a guy of his size to be able to finish around big men uh, like he can, uh, as well as have other parts of his game that are outstanding as well, he really is a tough guy to defend. Yeah, he's a TC. He's a tough cover, and yep. he's just, uh, you're right, if, if, if he didn't have all that bag, you know, quote-unquote baggage, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that people want to put on him, and some of it's rightfully deserved, I think. It's, um, he's one of the elite offensive players this game's ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just his quickness is, you know, be able to rise up and hit tough shots, and just um, he can hit from deep, he can get to the rim, he's got that in-between game. He just creates, and I think that's why a lot of the players kind of still look up to Kyrie, 
uh, just because he's got amazing ability. And even, um, you know, off the top of my head, I think he's, you know, he's 10-plus years in the league now, mm-hmm. uh, maybe closer to 15, but he's still getting it done. Uh, the problem is when he's healthy. Um, can, can he stay healthy for a full season? He's already missed plenty of time this year. Um, and can he stay out of trouble, like off the field, with all mm-hmm. his other issues that uh, come along with Kyrie? That, those are the two big question marks. And, boy, I don't know. I think, uh, I think if you're Dallas and you've got him locked up for another two years after this, you're just, you know, you're, hope, you're crossing your fingers and hoping that it can work. Um, and hopefully he's in the right mindset to, to, to pair with Luka and, and not let those two egos clash and have mm-hmm. them work together because – they worked together really well the other night. It didn't feel like they were stepping on each other's toes. It didn't feel like it was a tug of war. Um, because the last time we faced Luka and, and Kyrie was at the end of last season when Kyrie had been traded to Dallas, and, and it was the first home game. And I remember right down the stretch, they had a shot. They had the ball with a chance to win, and they didn't really know who was shooting it. They looked awkward between Luka and Kyrie and went back and forth, and Ant and Jaden were kind of locking them down, and the Wolves got the win. Uh, there was none of that this time. They uh, they really played well off each other. I, I didn't think that either one of them really hijacked the offense, um, you know, to a detrimental point. I thought mm-hmm. they had the good balance between the two. Hijacking the offense is something that Anthony Edwards does once in a while. He he uh, uh, he didn't get enough shots at the end. He didn't think uh, against Dallas on a Sunday night to help the team win. He said he felt like the double team. He let that create make him a little bit more passive. I'm not sure. I've seen him passive very often at the end of games. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. What do you think? Did did you think Ant could have done more at the end of the game on Sunday? Well, it's interesting because I, I thought before the Houston game, he had he was trying to do too much on his own mm-hmm. at the offensive end. And it was coming at the, you know, he was getting his points and getting to the free throw line. I mean, like there's a five-game stretch where he's averaging 35 points and getting mm-hmm. the free throw line 12 times a game. All that's really good. I mean, those are good numbers. You want that. But it comes at the expense of the rest of the team not playing great offense because guess what? It's become very isolation heavy, not a lot of ball movement, not a lot of other guys involved, um, and you end up not winning games. And I thought there was great balance in the Houston game. I thought mm-hmm. he chose his moments well to attack and kind of get his and get the team going. Um, and then also, you know, was right there leading the way in assists. I think he had five assists against Houston. Cat had six. You know, and then when the Wolves are doing that, that's when they're dangerous. That's that's what you do. You know, that's what you need to sustain winning in this league. It's not going to be, you know, and averaging 35 points and, and getting the free throw line, you know, over 10 times a game. It's just, I don't think that's the long-term success plan for this Wolves offense. But then there's the game the other night against Dallas, and I thought he did defer for a long period of time. And guess what? Nothing else was really happening. Jade really struggled to shoot the basketball. Cat um, had some moments where he got going, but that was mostly in the fourth quarter, I thought. Um, and so you almost needed Ant to kind of take over in those moments and to be more Ant-centric offensively. Um, and, you know, that run that the Wolves went on to, to go from nine down to up six was a 19-4 was a run, and in that, Cat had 10 of those points, and uh, Ant had 10, Cat had nine. Mm-hmm. They accounted for all 19 of those points, and those two really led the way. They dominated, and then, you know, I'd have to look back at the final possessions. There must have been probably four or five possessions. There was a turnover in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Ant didn't shoot enough during that stretch, but um, that's where you got to trust your offense, too. It doesn't have to be Ant bringing it up and just going one-on-five. Move the ball around, trust the offense, and trust that you're going to get it back in a better position to score. Eleven consecutive times he's led the team in scoring. Seven of those have been 30-plus points per game. It feels like there's been a shift that 
that he's getting five or six more shots per game than he was prior to this recent stretch. Yeah, and I think that's what, back to the Houston game, that's what made that game so different was that, um, you know, it was Ant and Cat taking the same number of shots, mm-hmm. and you had more people involved. And so it's fine if he's going to lead the way. This is, you know, Ant's become, you know, the best scorer on the team. And so I, I think the majority of time he is very likely going to lead the team in scoring. It's just it's just about that fine little balance between doing too much of it and then not enough. And then, certain, like, like I said against Dallas, there's certain games where nothing else is going. We need you to carry the load. So it's, it's really, you know, that's when you're a star player in this league, that's one of the parts of development. You know, mm-hmm. not just your game and your handle and your shooting and all that stuff, but learning the nuances of the game, when to attack, when not to, when to uh, get other people involved, when you need to step up, when you need to step back, those type of things. Um, and that's that's part of the development of a great player in this league, and Ant's still kind of learning and honing that part of his game. I don't remember the specific game it was after. I, th- I think it was the Dallas game where he had 44, and, and he came out of the gate on fire, just taking, you know, he was taking a lot of the shots. And they asked Mike Connolly after the game about that, if that was the game plan to just feed Ant and him, you know, ISO a lot, and he said, nope, yeah. it wasn't. That's just Ant being Ant. Is that a yeah. good thing? Uh, in that game, it was. Yes. In that game, it was. Yeah, and, Ant, <laughs> and Mike was kind of chuckling after I asked him that question. Yeah. Like, yeah, just like, hey, that's just a star player stepping up and getting it going early. And uh, and Ant's best quarter has been his first quarters. Um, he's been his best shooting quarters from, from the field, from the three, uh, scoring-wise. Um, so he's prone to some big first quarters. Um, yeah, I think he just had it in his mind that night that he was going to he was going to get things going in that first quarter. And, uh, yeah, I guess if that was the Dallas game, yeah, they won the game. Yep. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with going off early. And then, you know, there's different ways to do it, right? Like you could, he could hijack, you know, in the first quarter, if you want to call it that, and have that big first quarter. And that sets the tone. That gets everybody going. And then the final three quarters, you have a more balanced attack. Mm-hmm. That's still a winning formula. Other times you might need to do more in the third quarter or the second quarter or the fourth. So it's like that's what I'm talking about is like just – you know, picking the moments or recognizing in a game what is needed for your team to succeed, and that's and sometimes that's going to be you know just hey give me the give me the give me the ball I'm going to make something happen. Um, you don't want to get too heavy on that again, but you also don't want to take away his aggressiveness because that's what has made him so spectacular in his fourth season now. Do you think the Wolves are starting to get some national respect? I mean, I keep waiting for them to be in the A block, they call it, on TV and the, the opening uh, segment uh, when they're doing highlights. I, I keep waiting for the Wolves to be the first team they talk about. They still aren't. Uh, are, no. do, do you feel like they're getting some more respect? I think, I think you have to go. It depends on who you're, who you're looking towards. I, mm-hmm. I think if you look towards some of the, the – some of the writers um, and people that cover this game that kind of in depth, I think the smart people know that this team has been pretty good. And if you mm-hmm. can find them, um, you know, they're talking about it, but I, I don't think it's ever going to lead first take. I don't think it's ever going to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, still the marquee teams are the marquee teams and that's just fine. I think, I think if the Wolves continue on this pace, Todd, I think we could learn a lot from what Denver went through last year. Now they have been sure. successful for the previous couple of years, but that was the last year. Obviously they won the title for the first time in franchise history. And they made a deep run in the playoffs. And I, I really felt like, you know, I and with, with all the other teams that were going up against them, I kind of was rooting for them, even though they, they beat the Timberwolves in the postseason. Um, I was rooting for them. And, um, but Mike Malone kind of came out and, and said, hey, it's us against the world. Nobody believes in us. And I'm like, 
I realize that that's a tactic that coaches use. But I just wish you keep that in-house. You keep that in the locker room. Yeah. Um, and what he did was bring it public, and then all the Denver media starts saying the whole thing. Um, Denver got all upset when there was that Matt Ishbia, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, in the postseason, got into it with Jokic. Jokic was completely at fault. But mm-hmm. they got so defensive about that. And then when the finals started, I think Chris Mannix of, of Sports Illustrated was like, uh, complained about going to Denver for the finals. Everybody got all in an uproar about that. Listen, I, in my approach, just don't worry about it. If you're waiting for Stephen A. Smith to blabber about the Timberwolves, <laughs> A, you're going to be really it, – it, it's not going to happen, so there's that. And B, guess what? If they do, or Charles Barkley do mention the Wolves, guess what they're going to say? They're going to say they haven't proved a damn thing. They haven't won in the postseason. Talk to me when they win a title. Okay, great. Is that what you're waiting for him to say? Like, you can't have it both ways. Um, I just think you just don't worry about it. Fly under the radar. Be confident and enjoy what your team has. You don't. We don't need this outside recognition to realize that they've got a good front office, a good coach, and some good players, um, and they're they're looking like a team that's going to make a deep run in the playoffs. That yeah. should be all you need. And I, and I do feel like it's kind of a more upper Midwest attitude that that fans have about all, all their all the teams i mean last year the vikings right and they're not talking about us enough where we got this great record um yeah we've won some one score games but we deserve it because it's really it was a great year look it was really impressive but they won all those one score games that was complete anomaly that's a statistical anomaly mm. that should have let everybody know that you know what there's probably they're probably not as good as the record indicates and it might be a quick out in the postseason and it was but instead, everybody wanted everybody talking about them. Like, don't worry about that. If you just, just you just take care of business, win games. The rest of that will come, mm. and it may take a few years of sustained winning. But you will eventually get those NBA. You'll get those key NBA games on national TV. You'll be a part of Christmas Day. Guess what? The Christmas Day schedule was done. Was figured out in August, and in August. So the Wolves played the Oakland Thunder on December 26th. Mm-hmm. You got Shea Gilgis Alexander. You got Anthony Edwards. Great story, right? Two top teams in the Western Conference. Great story, right? Yep. Well, that that the Christmas Day schedule. You know, a lot of people were saying, "Hey, we, we should have seen the Thunder and we should have seen the Wolves on Christmas Day." Well, mm-hmm. guess what? In, in, in August, that was a 40 and 42 Thunder team, and that was a 42 and 40 Timberwolves team. And guess what? Christmas Day is all about. It's about ratings, mm-hmm. okay? And you're going to have you better have a marquee franchise. Or a marquee player, and if you look at the ten games and the ten, uh, sorry, the ten teams that were involved on Christmas, they are marquee franchises, or at least franchises that have been winning the last couple of years, and they have marquee players: Kevin Durant, international superstar, even Jimmy Butler. It, all these guys, you just go right down the list: Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, the defending champs. New York is a storied franchise. It doesn't matter who's playing for them; they're going to be on Christmas Day because it's about ratings Mm. and even with all those superstars all playing on christmas there was one nfl game and it topped the attendance and viewership for all five nba games i mean that's what you're going up against um it's not a time where you just pick two young teams and decide to throw them onto christmas day but that'll take care of itself it just takes time Mm -hmm. you know i i watched mike conley's career i watched him play at ohio state i always enjoyed his game i never realized what kind of an impact he would have uh, on the team, even outside of on the floor. Uh, he, he he does seem, even though we've talked about Ant still has some development to go with the maturity of his game, it seems like that has really been um, increased uh, toward getting to be that more mature player because he's playing next to Mike Conley. 
Yeah, it's um, Mike is constantly in people's ears. He has a great sense of um, what the team needs, who needs the ball, who needs to be talked to. Um, I think, remember there was a game last week where Ant didn't want to come off the floor in the yep. second quarter. He refused to come out. Um, and Mike Conley came in for him. Um, and, and it was a guy in Nikhil Alexander-Walker who recognized what was kind of happening, and Nikhil, I think, took himself out of the floor just to avoid any kind of you know major scene mm-hmm. because Mike Conley wasn't coming out. That looks bad on him. Ant had already you know, said, hey, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. So we got a stalemate here. Chris Finch is, you know, they dealt with that at halftime, and, and, uh, and it hasn't happened since. But Mike has a great recognition of that. So he was quick to talk to Anthony Edwards about that um, and apologized at halftime. But, you know, having veterans, I, it's just, you can't speak highly enough of having the right veterans. Not just a veteran, but it's got to be the right guys. Kyle Anderson, in his own way, is one of the leaders of this team. Mike Conley, in his own way, is one of the leaders of this team. Even Rudy, um, just with his experience and, and going about things, he's a leader of this team. Those guys, have, those guys have been through different battles with different teams. They've seen more than most of the other guys. And they really help lead the way. There's no question this team wouldn't would be where it is if it wasn't for the fact that it's guess what? It's not a young team. You look at the rotation, the youngest guys are Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, and they're both in their fourth year. Mm. They've both been starting for a couple of years. They're in no way, shape, or form, you know, rookies at this point. And the rest of the guys are all veterans. It's the the rotation itself is a very experienced group, and I think that has shown through this year. It's a big reason why they're off to the start they're off to. Orlando, tonight, what's your focus in your pregame prep for the Magic? Who are you watching? Um, you know, I just they just added another player to their injury report, so they've only got 10 available bodies tonight. they got eight players out, including two starters. Hmm. Um, so they're without Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr., and their other, one of their other starters now comes off the bench, Markel Fultz, because he's coming off his latest injury. Um, it's it's kind of a wonky-looking roster, and I think if fans were to look at who plays tonight and look at the box score, uh, this should be a Timberwolves win. But the one thing that Orlando really does well is defend. They're a top-four defensive team in the league. They get after it, and they've got defensive-minded players led by Jalen Suggs, led by Paolo Beccaro. Those two are going to try to carry the load offensively. Both of them have been playing really well. Orlando's having a breakout season, kind of like the Timberwolves are. They've been um, they've been a bottom 10 team. In fact, they've got one of the worst records in the league over the previous three years. They've been 28th in the league in win percentage over that span. And now they're 21-15, and 15, and they really haven't had their core group together a whole bunch. But the defense has kind of led the way. And it doesn't matter who's been on the floor who's been off the floor. Um, they've been playing defense at a really high rate. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if, if the Wolves, A, and their offense, which just has not been consistent this year, comes in 17th in the league, if they can kind of solve that and have an efficient offensive night, um, I, I think I, I think what makes the Wolves different is that you know as good as other defensive teams have been, like like Orlando, like Boston tomorrow night, they've got to deal with the Timberwolves defense too. And Orlando's defense is a bottom ten offense, um, and so can the Wolves play at that elite level defensively? Because when they do, it just it it just opens everything up and gives them a great chance to win a game. Allen, thanks so much. We'll be tuned in. Todd, you got it. Take care. Alan Horton, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on the Todd and Friends podcast. It's brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.